the play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to They are who we thought they were. And we let them out the way. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the west right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's 10 o'clock on a Friday, but it's 5 o'clock somewhere. Yeah, buddy. What up? How's everybody doing on a Friday? Welcome into the show. I'm Matt. I'm in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go! With the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Local agents. Competitive rates. Oops, let me pick that up. Drop something there. Fast and friendly service. Roger, are you happy it's Friday? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. That means everybody will leave about noon and I can get some work done. <laughs> You're happy for a whole different reason. You'll I'm sure fi- there's a lot of people out there who identify with that, either no. leaving or staying. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. You'll find this funny. Um, this morning, early, 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 from 6 a.m. until 7 a.m., I um, helped to, I, yeah, I was sort of a guest, but like guest host just for an hour. Over in Birmingham on WJOX, uh, the big sports station over in Birmingham. Jocks. <clears throat> Jocks. Their morning show, excuse me one second. <clears throat> their morning show, they have, uh, there's three guys that host that show, and two of them are on vacation. <laughs> so one, Ryan Brown, this week has oh. been all by himself. Yeah. Ought to be a rule there. <laughs> yeah, there ought to be, huh? Have we all leave or none of us leave. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So he was there by himself. So this week he had a bunch of people kind of, you know, as guests. And so I connected with him same way I connect with you, you know, via this fancy equipment that makes me sound like I'm in the studio with you. I uh, connected to him over in uh, Birmingham. And so I helped him host his six to seven hour this morning. And it dawned on me just before it began that I had better warn them. I said, hey, my studio here, we're basically sitting on a railroad track. Let me just warn y'all <laughs> that there's a great chance that at least one train's going to come blaring through here during this hour. And, uh, you know, you, you can decide whether you want to just mute me or handle it. And they always have a good time with their show. And he said, no, that'll just go perfect. That'll go perfect with our show, actually. <laughs> and sure enough, at 6.23 a.m., here it came. This loud train noise. And that's, and he pointed out, he said, well, there it is right on cue, 6.23, train coming through the studio. So I was just going to say, Roger, that today it's unusual, but today you're not the only producer that gets to hear a train blare by here while we're on the air you know somebody else got to experience that today on a friday yep there we go (laughs) (laughs) yep came rolling through sure did hey uh welcome in 
This show stays connected to you because of C Spire, the number one network in Mississippi. And uh, I've got a bunch of folks that are coming on the show today, if everything goes according to plan. About five minutes from right now, I'm going to talk with Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. He attended the Mississippi State LSU game last night in Starkville State, won at 6-5. to five. Later in the hour, we're going to talk with Brandon Marcello. He covers Auburn for the 24-7 network, and he is in Kansas City getting ready for that game tonight, the Sweet 16, fifth seed Auburn, going to take on the number one seed, North Carolina. He'll help us preview that basketball game. First time ever. How about that? Bo Bounds is going to be on the show because I saw Bo on television last night. He popped into the video shot they had up in the lofts as uh, Kyle Peterson and Tom Hart were broadcasting that game from the lofts. And so he's coming up. And then also today, Trey Schapp, my buddy from Little Rock, Arkansas, is going to help us preview the Ole Miss Arkansas baseball series, all that and more. Highlights last night, though, this is what it sounded like. Justin Foscue was really kind of the hero. He hit two home runs, and then you had a big play at the end of the game to end it. Highlights of last night's baseball win over LSU for State from the voice of Mississippi State baseball, Jim Ellis and Learfield IMG College. And the one-two pitch. And there's a high fly ball deep left field. Don't go after it because it is gone for a home run. Foscue just tied it up with his eighth bomb of the year. Boy, every time he hits one, it's a no-doubter, it seems like. Towering fly ball over the left field wall. And the Bulldogs have tied it up with their own version of a two-out, two-run homer. Five to two now. And there's a drive. And that one's going to go. Going and gone for the second home run of the night for Justin Foscue to make it a six-to-two ball game. Boy, Foscue... He is zeroed in right now. When the ball comes off his bat, it is really carrying. And Foscue, with back-to-back home runs with McNamee, has given the Bulldogs now a little breathing room with a four-run lead. Runner going, pitch coming, throw down. He got a chance to get him. He is out. The game is over. A one-hop throw. The coverage by Westberg. The out is recorded. And LSU trying to steal second base with two outs in the top of the ninth inning are thrown out, and the ball game ends on that note. How about that? So they had a runner on first, represented the tying run in the top of the ninth for LSU. It was Antoine Duplantis with a left-handed hitter at the plate, Cole Gordon on the mound. Uh, He tries to steal second to get in scoring position, and Dustin Skelton, who had, I think, two hits on the night. I think Dustin had a couple of hits. Threw him out, gunned him down. Yeah, Dustin was two for four at the plate. Had a couple strikeouts too, but two for four. Uh, pretty productive night at the plate. Dustin's hitting three fifty four in the year. That was a, a big moment right there, right at the end, obviously. Uh, throw him out in the ball game. So six to five win. I'm at that. So I think that's two. Is it? Is it two? Yeah. Am I crazy? That's two Friday nights in a row. That it's been a six to five ball game. It's just last week against Auburn State was on the other end, lost six to five. And I'm trying to think that Friday night game. I could go back and look, but that Friday night game against Florida for State, I was thinking that was maybe like a six to five ball game. Also, was it? Let me look it up. Yeah, <laughs> it sure was. So State won six to five against Florida on a Friday night. Lost 6-5 to 
on a Friday night to Auburn last week, and now they win 6-5 to five on a Friday against LSU. In game two tonight, chance for State to win the series, LSU a chance to even it. It'll be hard for LSU because JT Ginn is going to be on the mound. That'll be an interesting matchup because Ginn's a righty, and obviously most of the LSU lineup is lefties. So interesting matchup tonight. Here is Chris Lamonis recapping the win after last night's game on the radio with Jim Ellis. And, you know, even I, I wanted to let him go a little bit longer, but uh, that inning, I guess it was the fifth for us, ended up being so long, two video replays. I mean, I just, you know, we ended up taking him out. But he, he did walk a couple guys tonight, uh, a little uncharacteristic for him. But I thought he was pretty good after the first. I thought Tristan Barlow, who did a great job of getting us out of an inning, uh, then was a little bit unlucky in the in the in the next inning. Yeah, we got to make plays. We got to make those plays. Our our guys know it. I don't even, I don't even say anything to them because they know it. Um, we got we got to be able to put people away, and we do that by making plays and not letting innings start. Um, that kind of happened across the board there in the last couple innings. Cole showed some real toughness, didn't he, at the end of the ball game? Yeah, he does that every game for for us. I mean, he's just. Uh, um, man, throwing that really good breaking ball for strikes and, and made some big pitches. Uh, just uh, happy for him, man. I'm glad he's on our side. Justin Foscu, he, he sort of jump starts us, and then he has another home run. His his power numbers are beginning to look pretty good. Yeah, he's had a good season and a really good game tonight. I, that, that home run was huge. I mean, he just uh, he had an opportunity there. I think it was the first, and he, he punches out, and then he comes back and kind of redeems himself there with the runners in scoring position and kind of, that's when we took over the game. Did you have any question in your mind whether McNamee's home run was a home run? Not really. And, it was, I, you know, we were just sitting there saying it'd be really hard to overturn because it went so far. It was so high and so far out. Like, it's just hard to see that on a replay, too. I just, you know, I don't know what was seen, and I haven't seen anything yet. But, um, and, man, he crushed that ball. That's a little bit after the game with Chris Lamonis. Post-game interview, Jim Ellis from Learfield IMG. As I said earlier, we're going to get, uh, right about now, Teddy Cahill from Baseball America on the Divini Equipment phone. Divini Equipment, Madison & Jackson, your Kubota dealer. They are the oldest Kubota dealer in the U.S. They've been doing it better, longer than anyone. Yeah, that's it. 6-5 to five on a Thursday night. Thanks for the text <laughs> on the text line. And there's a train right on cue. Yeah, it was 6-5. to five. That's right. It was a Thursday night. But I got Friday night in my mind because we had Friday night starters, right? That's what we call them anyway. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, yeah. The, I sh- what should I say? That's all the openers to the SEC series are 6-5. to five. That's what it is. That's what it is. Thursday night this week, but it's a Friday night starters. Sort of like a Friday night. A, season op- a series opener. Hey, if you want to be uh, on uh, the show, there's a couple different ways you can do that. You can text uh, at 885-ESPN or 885-3776. That'll get you in. And you can tweet me at Radio Wyatt. Also going to open the phone line to you a little later, the Divinity Equipment phone, which is 995-1059. Let's see here. Yeah, um, I, I told you earlier, we're going to chat with Brandon Marcello covering Auburn basketball. They're in the Sweet 16 tonight against North Carolina. He's out in Kansas City. That's coming up. Bo, 
Your boy Bo Bounds, I saw him on TV last night. He snuck into one of the camera shots behind KP and Tom Hart up in the lofts. I knew Bo was there. I'm going to talk to Bo about the whole lofts and you know new dude experience. But another guy who was at the game, I believe, at least according to his uh, <laughs> Twitter right here, uh, Teddy Cahill from Baseball America, who is on your radio right now on the Divinity phone. Uh, Teddy covering the game. Teddy, um, I, like I said, I was following you on Twitter. It looks like you were at the game last night, and if I have that correct, kind of what was your experience? Yeah, that is correct. I uh, did not get to go hang out with Tom and KP in the suite, but uh, <laughs> it was uh, it was a fun experience nonetheless. I, I got some of their food afterwards, so that was fun. But, you know, it's a, it's a great stadium. Uh, I know Thursday night crowds are sometimes difficult, and uh, it was still a great crowd. I, I know that they'll be bigger uh, for some later games, maybe even tonight. Uh, but it, it was it was a fantastic uh, ballpark experience, and obviously the game was pretty good itself as well. Plenty of fireworks during the game, and uh, it wound up being a pretty close one at the end. So I, I thought it was a, a great Thursday night all the way around uh, in Starkville. Yeah, great weather. You know, just right at about ten thousand people there for a Thursday night game. They said it was the largest Thursday night crowd that state, you know, has had for a game. But I thought I thought there were times where state seemed to really kind of feed off the crowd. And, and certainly in some of those situations with Foscue and McNamee at the plate. Did you sense that also? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they do a good job of that just in general. I mean, when they have, you know, so many, uh, you know, fans there on a consistent basis, I think that becomes a – you know, kind of just a, a thing that you you know you can rely on the, the crowd to to pick you up at times, and uh, you know after the home runs it got really loud in there, and so I I think that that's a, a big part of Mississippi State baseball in general, and and especially now this year with the stadium finally being done. Sure, Teddy Cahill on your radio right now. What'd you think of Ethan Small last night? He started really, really well. His first six outs came by strikeout. I mean, he made a mistake to Daniel Cabrera during that stretch, and uh, Cabrera hit it out for that two-run homer. But uh, his command got better. I thought, you know, that that was um, that was really maybe just one of the few hiccups. And then mm-hmm. Mississippi State had some one of those bigger innings. It took a while. There was a review in there, and Small didn't really seem to be quite the same after that. And after the game, Chris Limonis talked about how uh, Small was just trying to do anything to stay loose during that time, and um, it, I don't know how well that worked or how well he was, you know, after that. So that that kind of led him to getting out of the game a little early. But uh, I thought he did a good job as he's been doing all season long. You know, he uh, he does a really good job of spotting that fastball, and uh, you know, he he piled up I think it was ten strikeouts at five innings, and uh, you know, it was it was a it was a pretty solid start. I know it ended sooner than he would have liked, but all in all, you know, it was another good outing from him. Teddy Cahill, Baseball America, on your radio. Y'all follow him on Twitter if you don't, at Ted Cahill. That's Cahill with a C. And you'll see that at BaseballAmerica.com, he has a really cool piece he's written about the uh, lineup, the power numbers for Mississippi State. And Foscue right in the middle of that. Teddy, were you in on – you may have even been the one asking the questions when Lamonis talked a little bit last night about – the progression of Foscue as a hitter. What did you learn? Yeah, I thought that was uh, it was interesting what he said. You know, he, um, you know, Lamonis wasn't here last year. He he didn't recruit Justin, obviously. Mm-hmm. So he gets in here and, and really gets his first chance to really work with him, look at him in the fall. 
and he said he wasn't very impressed with Justin. And he told him that uh, kind of in their their exit meetings during the fall, he told Justin like, "Look, I'm just not scared with you at the plate right now." Uh, I guess it was a lot of um, you know backside hitting, just kind of weaker contact. And Foskey told him that that made him mad. Um, <laughs> And he went out and he worked at it over the winter. And he came back. And when they got here in January, I guess, uh, Lamotta said he could already see a difference, that, that Foskey was impacting the baseball more, that he was hitting for more power, especially when he was pulling the ball. And that's what you saw last night. That's what they've seen all season. But, but especially last night, he pulled two balls uh, into the left field lounge and um, you know, was was really making some some hard contact, and I guess that's why he's leading this team with nine home runs now. Uh, you know, he's had raw power in his in the past. He just wasn't doing a great job of getting to it. And now this year, uh, I think that he made some tweaks to his swing, and also some of it is just a little more experience in the college game. He knows when uh, you know when to look for pitches to hit and and which pitches he can he can drive. And I think he's those two things have come together to make uh, you know, him a, a much more complete hitter and a, a much more dangerous hitter when he's at the plate. Yeah, and, you know, Teddy, are you going to get to stick around for any other games this weekend, or are you headed off somewhere else? No, the plan is to uh, to see these next two games. I, it, I think it'll be a fun series. I mean, uh, LSU needs to needs a response here. Mm-hmm. I mean, they came back last night, but, uh, you know, it, it's going to be an interesting couple of days to see how the rest of this one plays out. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, uh, in that case, um, as you prepare to see these next two games, especially tonight, what is State going to see on the mound from LSU? Yeah, I mean, so they're, uh, I think they're throwing Cole Henry again tonight, and he's been he's a freshman. He's been very good uh, since he moved into the rotation a few weeks ago. Uh, and and he's, uh, he's got another power arm. I mean, the LSU has a lot of power uh, when they can throw at you on the mound, and uh, Henry's going to come right at you, and you know he he's a freshman who's done very very well. He he um, pitched well at Georgia last weekend, mm-hmm. pitched well against Kentucky, so he's done well in the SEC. But this one's going to be a little different because you know this Mississippi State lineup, as as we kind of were talking about it, there there's a lot of power in it as well. But I, I think that you know he's got he's got the stuff to challenge the Mississippi State hitters. Uh, what we'll see how that all fares for him in what will be one of the the rowdier environments he's he's pitched in on, on an opposing side uh, so far in his college career. Yeah, really good outing. You're right against Georgia last week. Goes seven and a third, only gives up two runs on two hits and struck out eight. Only walked one, but it was a, a day where his team couldn't get it going. They get beat two zip. Um, if I'm looking at that correctly, yeah. So had a pretty good outing last week. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the, right now I think one of the things that they need just in general is to get their offense going because yeah. you know they scored five runs last night, but it's been a problem for the last uh, you know couple weeks now. Sure. Well, hey LSU, good luck with that. JT Ginn on the mound for <laughs> State. That ought to be. <laughs> and it, they've got a lot of lefties, and obviously Ginn is a right-hander, but this is a heck of a. It's a tough spot for them to get out of a, an offensive slump against a guy like that. Absolutely. That is one thing, though, that I think a lot of people are interested in seeing is how JT handles such a left-handed dominant mm-hmm. lineup uh, just because of the, the two-seamers that he throws. Uh, how's that going to play against you know lefties of the caliber that LSU has? But uh, I know JT Ginn's not going to be 
afraid at all of that, and he's going to be ready to go. So I, I think it's going to be a fun matchup tonight. Really do. I, I do as well. Hey, Teddy, thank you so much uh, for jumping on a short notice. Glad you're in town watching some baseball, and I'll see you at the ballpark tonight and tomorrow. Thanks. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Great stuff. That's Teddy Cahill from Baseball America. Y'all follow him on Twitter at Ted Cahill, and it's spelled C-A-H-I-L-L. And um, he does a great job. He's got a piece after last night's game that kind of puts into perspective the overall power numbers, the boost in those. Um, a, a little bit of a different angle, but a similar subject anyway to what Brett Hudson put out there for you last week, kind of touched on specifically some guys like Mangum and McNamee, their power numbers. Brett did that last week over at mattwyattmedia.com. Go check it out on the Hudson blog. He did a really nice job there, especially Mangum too. Even, you know, your leadoff hitter numbers, power numbers are up. Slugging numbers are up. Across the team, they're up. And it's making a big difference. And obviously home runs were the difference in the game last night. Two for Foscue and one for McNamee that – it left the ballpark. You hear me? It left the ballpark. That's how far he hit it. It was just right down the left field line where it's 330 to the pole, and it was so high they ruled it a home run even though they got an argument from LSU. Just getting started with you here on this Friday. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Here we go. Back on the show. I'm Matt. I'm live in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau. Phone line open to you now. The Divinity Equipment phone, it's easy to remember. Here is the number, 601-995-1059. Repeat after me. Jot it down. Commit it to memory. You might even, I don't know, if you have a hard time remembering numbers like me, got my hand up. Jot it down. Throw it in the glove box, console there. Put it up on the dash if you're like me and you don't mind your car being messy. You'll have it when you want to call. When something sets you off <laughs> or tees a subject up for you that you're an expert on, you can call and you'll have the number handy. 601-995-1059. Let her rip, tater chip. Matt on the text line says, is it just me or does uh, the whole state pitching staff seem more comfortable with Skelton behind the plate? Yeah, it makes sense, Matt. He being the senior, been around the longest, all those older guys. Of course, Ginn is a younger, but he's just the more experienced guy behind the plate. And, boy, he made a huge play at the end of that game. Sure did. Hey, Roger, Jay Billis, who's kind of like uh, the ESPN college basketball guy, tweeted – Throwback Friday, as in kind of like Afro, but he called it Throwback Friday, and it's Auburn coach Bruce Pearl 
It is uh, like a black and white photo of Auburn head coach Bruce Pearl. It had to be from his, you know, high school or early college days, but it looks like high school back in the seventies or whatever. And Bruce Pearl had a great big poofed out round fro going. Sure did. And I'm just thinking, don't you think this would be a fun idea? Is and of course it's hard to do it in secret if I'm talking it about it on the radio to you. But what if, you, what if you and I went about collecting some old high school yearbook photos of some of the other guys around that do some of the other shows like Bo and Jake and Chris. And even if they're in color, we'll make them black and edit them and make them black and white so that they look really old. <laughs> And let's start tweeting those. And, and you know, to be fair, me and you too. You got any old high school yearbook photos laying around, Roger? You don't? Okay. I still think it's a great idea. <laughs> All right, anyway, moving on. Did you watch basketball last night? Look, Tennessee, a two-seed. I had them in the Final Four got bounced in the Sweet 16 in overtime by Purdue. Everybody was talking about this game. Everybody was watching it. In fact, you know how it is. Like around here, we pay attention to baseball. For the most part, we pay attention to baseball. This time of year, baseball, big deal. Last night was a big deal. State playing LSU. Starkville, big crowd. 10,000 on a Thursday night. Pretty good crowd for a Thursday night. Really good crowd, in fact, for a Thursday night. Tonight will be bigger crowd. Saturday, potentially even bigger. We'll see. I'm watching baseball. By the way, Braves got crushed yesterday on opening day by the Phillies. So what? 161 games left. No big deal. <laughs> but I'm watching baseball, and uh, on Twitter, there there's this constant stream of tweets about what a good game the Purdue and Tennessee Sweet 16 game is. It did not motivate me to switch over there. But. As I'm watching the baseball game on TV, they're broadcasting from the lofts out there in left field at Duty Noble Field, and you heard these people around them yelling on the baseball broadcast, and so they had to kind of point out what it was about, and one of the announcers on baseball said, well, we've got these people up in the booth that are back here watching the Purdue and Tennessee game. And so I thought, okay, we got to see what's going on. So I checked it out. Tennessee... A horrible first half, fell behind big. They were down 12 at halftime, 40 to 28, fell behind even farther at one point, but then made this huge comeback. They outscored Purdue by 12 in the second half to get it to overtime. It was a great finish to the to the to regulation. And then in overtime, Purdue was able to win it. 99-94, overtime, Sweet 16, classic game, a two versus a three. But what everybody was pointing to and talking about was the end of regulation. Tennessee up by two. Grant Williams put back dunk with eight seconds left. Here comes Purdue down the floor. Something happened. They had to go inbounds pass. They took longer than five seconds on the inbounds, but the referees didn't call that. And then this kid... Ryan Klein for Purdue, the guard who just went off last night for them in the game. Klein is at the three-point line, on the inbounds, just a second or so left, goes airborne to try a three-point attempt. If he sinks it, he's going to win the game, basically. 
He missed the shot, but a foul was called on the shot against Tennessee, and it was marginal. Sure, it was not blatant. He didn't. The, the Tennessee player didn't go over there and just hack his arm and all that kind of stuff. What it was is the shooter goes airborne to take the shot. The rule is he has the right to come back down to the floor cleanly if he doesn't initiate contact. But the Tennessee guy who put his hands up, tried to get up in his grill to affect the shot, turned his back to the shooter so as not to you know egregiously foul him, but bumped him. While the shooter is in the air on a three-point attempt with about a second or two left, while he's up in the air shooting a jump shot, the Tennessee player bumped him, ran into his hip, spun him to the side just a little bit, and then the guy couldn't come down cleanly. It is the classic definition of fouling a shooter. It is. It's a foul. So they call the foul. And with a chance to hit three free throws to win the game, Purdue only hit two and sent the game to overtime, where they did win it in overtime. Well, you have a lot of people saying that Tennessee was robbed, that Tennessee got hosed, that they should not call that in that situation. This unwritten rule of swallow the whistle at the end of a game sort of thing. Well, here's the problem I have with it. I don't understand that thinking, first of all. Yeah, I know every sport. Baseball's got a lot of, quote, unwritten rules and basketball, whatever. Look, but tell me this. Tell me why. Why is there an expectation that officials are going to swallow their whistle and not call something at the end of a game? Arguably the most important time of the game. First of all, it's a completely gutless approach from an official it to take to ever. I don't care if it's an unwritten rule. It's gutless to take the approach that I'm going to stay out of here so that I don't have, I don't screw anything up at the end of the game, even though it's the most crucial time. I don't want anybody mad at me. So first of all, it's gutless. Secondly, did you remember the end of that Auburn versus Florida game in the sec tournament? Auburn is so egregiously trying to foul somebody. You've never seen a more, I mean, this side of an intentional foul, a harder foul on a shooter because Auburn was trying to get the foul call. They couldn't try hard enough. I guess if you punch the guy in the nose, maybe they'll call it, but they didn't call it. Why? Swallow the whistle at the end. It's ridiculous. So it is ridiculous. So what I'm saying about this game last night, Number one, people saying, oh, Tennessee just got hosed. They shouldn't have called that. No, they didn't. The Tennessee player fouled him. It is a foul. All day today and ten times on Sunday, it's a foul. Every time. I don't care when it happens. And then secondly, the game went to overtime. Tennessee had five more minutes to try and win the game and lost. There have been so many excuses from Tennessee fans and others saying that Tennessee got hosed. No, they didn't. It was the right call, and Tennessee still had five more minutes to try and win the game. I hate this swallow the whistle crap. Call it like you're supposed to. Else throw out the record books and run the officials out, and we don't even play with them if we're not going to call it for the full amount of the ball game. It was the right call. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around.
You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. this on the text line Matt says y'all leave Chris Brooks alone his son went to the state LSU game last night and there's no way he didn't convert to a bulldog (laughs) (laughs) Matt I guess we'll find out soon enough he's pretty smart (laughs) yeah that's right he's pretty smart (laughs) tell you who else is smart is Brandon Marcello who uh, covers Auburn for 24-7 sports, and he is in Kansas City. They're getting ready for Sweet 16 tonight. Um, Brandon, uh, you can follow him on Twitter, has that little blue check, at B Marcello. He's the senior editor there at Auburn 24-7, and so on the road getting ready. Sweet 16 tonight, Auburn taking on North Carolina, and there's this thing uh, out there about a kid for North Carolina who's sick. Roy Williams, a coach at North Carolina, was talking about this, I guess, in the press stuff leading up to this game, saying that, you know, poor kid was having a hard time picking up a fork just to eat. I don't have a sound clip. I heard it actually on the show that I was um, a guest on this morning in Birmingham. They played the clip, and I think I heard Roy Williams say, yeah, he – if he is in the shape that he is in right now, there is no way he's going to play. That's a kid for North Carolina. You know, and it's two teams that do play fast and go up and down the floor. So it ought to be pretty uh, interesting, I would think. Or it should be. I mean, you never know. It's like last night. That Texas Tech and Michigan game was supposed to be interesting, too. You tell me, snoozer, are you serious? Texas Tech, the three seed, beat the two seed Michigan Wolverines 63 to 44. 44 points in a college basketball game. The story of my bracket life is you pick a national champion you get like 14 of 16 games correct, or ever how many it was. In the first round, you're off to a great start. You pick the national t- champion. They get to the Sweet 16 and score 15 points in a first half of a game. That's the story of my bracket life. I bet we don't have that tonight, though. Let's talk to Brandon on the Divinity Equipment phone, Divinity Equipment, Madison, and in Jackson, your Kubota dealer, the oldest Kubota dealer in the U.S., They've been doing it better, longer than anyone else. And the person who covers Auburn better than anyone else, Brandon Marcello, on your radio. Brandon, have you had some good barbecue in KC? That's what I want to know first. Oh, yeah, you know it, man. (laughs) I went to Q39 last night, and the night before that, we went to a pizza joint that had Joe's Barbecue burnt ends on the pizza. It was fantastic. Gracious alive. I'll be there later. No, I actually won't, but I wish I could be. <laughs> uh, later, you will be watching Auburn take on North Carolina. Um, what's this? So North Carolina's got a player that's sick as a dog maybe and won't play? 
Yeah, that, that's that's the word. That's their little who had been doing a great job for them off the bench, scoring 20 points per game in the NCAA tournament. He had like some flu-like symptoms. They've been keeping him away from the team as to not get anybody else sick and also let him rest. Apparently, he couldn't even keep food down yesterday. Their hope is that he'll be ready to go tonight. You know, we'll see. I guess you could just put him down as questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he'd be, a, you know, I want to say a huge loss for him, but he's definitely sparked them, uh, especially late, you know, in these second halves when they need some bench production. But, you know, they, they've been fine without getting that production from him uh, all season. Sure. So we'll see. A lot of Auburn fans already there, I would assume. I've seen a few, you know, Kansas City's a, you know, yeah. somewhat big town. It's kind of spread out. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen a few, you know, be quite honest, I actually haven't seen many fans out and about, but um, I think a lot of folks are probably just going to be arriving this morning since these are all night games. Yeah, yeah, 6.30 Central Time tip tonight. Watch it on TBS, uh, that sort of thing. So a little bit later out there at the Sprint Center, Kansas City. Auburn, North Carolina, five seed versus one seed. How do you put into words right now, if I were to ask you how beloved at this point is Bruce Pearl among Auburn fans? Well, they, they believe he's the best coach on campus and, they, and he's the most beloved and he has the best personality. And, um, uh, you know, you got people, <laughs> fans, some fans going, give him a lifetime contract and all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't think they want to do that, but, you know, people just love him. And it's not just because they're winning. It's a lot to do with it. But they love his personality and stuff that, you know, you don't necessarily report on or see reported. It's just the stuff he does. Like, he'll, he'll like, like, he'll, like, once a week, he'll just go through the student union and go talk to students for, like, 30 minutes. Hmm. Just on his own, just to go do that, because he wants to build up relationships with the students so that the student section is filled up every every game. I mean, he does that all the time. He just goes down there and he'll talk about what they're studying and talk about their families, take pictures and stuff. He just does stuff like that uh, on his own time and, and, and develops relationships with these students and fans. And um, he's just absolutely beloved, even before he started really winning here at Auburn. And this run here is just absolutely, you know, put it over the top of obviously, and, uh, you know, everybody loves his personality. We all know he's that, you know, very outgoing type, but mm. there's some stuff behind the scenes that we don't even really report on you hear about that, you know, you run into people going, hey, uh, Bruce Pearl is walking through here and uh, stopped and sat at our table for 10 minutes and talked to us. And yeah, It's that type of stuff that really gets him going with the fans. Sure. Brandon Marcello on your radio, he's – Live on the show right now on the Divinity phone from Kansas City tonight, Auburn versus North Carolina Sweet 16. Real quick, Brandon, um, you know, I saw there's a hit piece out there uh, in the USA Today from, I believe the writer is Nancy Armour, um, said that Bruce Pearl is, you know, uh, symbolizes, uh, here's the headline, symbolizes the rot in college athletics and points to NCAA stuff. Um, you surprised by that uh, to see it, especially here on the day of the Sweet 16 game, or uh, is that maybe like somebody has a vendetta and it goes back? Like, where's that coming from? <clears throat> you know what? Um, all the way back in 1989, Bruce Pearl was a young assistant coach at Iowa, and he was recruiting a kid then that was also considering Illinois. 
and he believed that there was some wrongdoing going on on the Illinois side. So he had a tape and turned it into the NCAA, mm-hmm. trying to rat out Illinois. And ever since then, he, he was like blacklisted. I mean, he was a coach on the rise. He should have been a head coach much earlier than he was. Mm-hmm. And he kind of got blacklisted by a lot of people in the coaching industry. And he ended up having to rebuild himself and go be a Division two coach. Um and then all the way up until, you know, the early 2000s, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, what happened at Tennessee when he lied about a cookout and yeah. got, you know, caught by the NCAA, got the show cause. But he's never, you know, he's never been caught or even, uh, you know, any allegations of paying players or anything like that. Yeah. But for whatever reason, there's this weird stigma around him. A lot of coaches don't like him or didn't like him. I remember Dick Vitale uh, used to not like him, and now I think they're pretty close <laughs> um, just because of what he did at Iowa. And I think that what he did way back when with some of these coaches that are still around, that really put a stigma around him. They saw him as a hypocritical guy, a guy that was, you know, it was like an unwritten code of you don't turn on others or whatever. And, um, so now everybody looks for every little thing that goes wrong with Bruce Pearl. Now, What's happened recently at Auburn is Chuck Person, who is an Auburn alum, Auburn legend, you know, he got in trouble, got wound up in this FBI stuff, and Auburn is of total belief, unless there's something that comes out later, that that Chuck Person was acting alone. Bruce Pearl had no idea what was going on. Chuck Person was allegedly trying to get money because he needed the money. He had had some marriages and has a lot of kids. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then Ira Bowman, this guy that they hired to replace them, wasn't really a Bruce Pearl hire. It was the guy that the athletics director really wanted because he was an Ivy League guy, an Ivy League player, an Ivy League coach. We came highly recommended from a bunch of people. And then his name comes up in a completely separate trial about a Medicaid fraud, Medicare and Medicaid fraud trial. And his name comes up about maybe handling a bank account for, for some walk-on player at, at, at Penn, and Auburn's completely cut off guard, something that happened apparently five years ago, right. and so they suspended him. And so it, it just all this little stuff it, it just surrounding him, it, it just makes Pearl an easy target, also because he's so outgoing, yeah. and he talks a lot. They think he's hypocritical, and they also think that because he's so nice, they think that it's fake. And I'll tell you, I mean, from being close to him, I mean, I'm not close to him, but talking to him, I have a pretty good BS meter. Yeah, I could yeah. tell when he's BSing, and I could tell when he's being legit. And most of he's more legit than a lot of coaches out there. A yeah. lot of coaches yeah. BS. You know, Brandon, that's a great take, and, it, and it's a good point to end on. And I, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I just felt like, there's plenty of things you could use as ammunition, but it really did seem like a hit piece, and it's kind of poorly timed. It stinks. You know, hey, man, I appreciate the phone call. Enjoy the game. We're going to be paying attention and following you on Twitter. Thanks.